Hi, and welcome back to Legally Kings, a podcast hosted on behalf of the Postgraduate Law Society at King's College London, designed to bring easygoing conversations with accomplished individuals in the legal profession. Today, we sit down with Diana Suso. Working at Hogan Lovells, she's a first seat trainee in their international arbitration practice at the London office. A KCL alumnus, she went to do her LLM at Cornell University and is also a registered New York State attorney. She joins us to talk about her life as a trainee and her impressions of the firm so far. Have a listen. Hi, Diana. Thank you so much for coming on today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. I'm just, you know, getting ready for my week. Yes, uh, for all our listeners, it's currently about 9.20 in the morning, so you're just about to start your, uh, your, your day then, right after this. I am, yeah. I, actually, I got a bit of an early start today. I woke up about 8, couldn't go back to bed, so I figured might as well start doing something. Yeah, no, <laughs> to be fair, I mean, no one likes a Monday morning. But, but we are very grateful to have you on, and uh, we were very excited to talk about your experience at uh, Hogan Lovell so far. I, th- I think we can start off with by understanding uh, a bit about your background and what was your transition to Korean law after KCL. Yeah, that sounds great. And thanks so much for having me again. I'm really, really glad to be here. Um, so I studied straight law at King's. I graduated, I started in 2015, graduated the summer of 2018 and went straight into doing a master of laws at Cornell University in the United States. I um, specialized in, well, it was international law, but I sort of specialized in human rights and international arbitration. It was a very interesting combination, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it gave me a lot of perspective. Right after my LLM, which lasted a year, I um, sat for the New York bar, um, passed the bar, registered as a New York state attorney, and in the meantime, decided that actually I really wanted to come back to London and I really wanted a training to do a training contract. Yeah. So I came back, um, completed the LPC in the beginning of 2020. And since August 2020, I've been a trainee at Hogan Lovells. Wow. How did you find uh, your time at Cornell in terms of doing an LLM? Did you think that made a difference? Yes, yeah, certainly. I think the person I came out of the LMS, it was very different from the person I was when I started. I think it gave me a lot of direction. It gave me just time to gather my thoughts about what I wanted to do um, while I was doing my undergraduate degree. And this is definitely not the case for everyone. You know, some people have a a much clearer idea of things. I really wanted to explore. So I did a variety of internships and a variety of work experiences. Um, everything from, you know, some political experience to purely commercial to human rights, just a wide range of things. So the LLM for me was really a defining moment in, you know, sitting down with everything I'd done so far, amassing all the theoretical knowledge I had and thinking, okay, what is it that I really want to do? Um, So I thought, I thought it was great. I, I mean, I would recommend an LLM if possible to anyone, if you're thinking about going into law, but it's a personal choice. And I should ask, again, I, as uh, Pavan and I, you know, we're LLM students ourselves. Uh, d- would you say what you saw or what you studied in theory was necessarily relevant to the actual practice? Did you actually, do you find yourself using what you've studied to some extent? Um, yes and no. I think practice is very surprising. Yeah. Um, and all my experiences working have been like this. You know, you think you really understand something in theory and you probably do. It's yeah. just that in practice, a lot of the time, maybe there isn't quite as much room for 
philosophical debates, or maybe there isn't quite as much room for, you know, going through the basics before you can go into the more complicated stuff. You kind of yeah. learn as you go. Yeah. I think having a background definitely helps. So for example, I am currently sitting in international arbitration, the fact that, which is a seat that I really wanted to sit in. The yeah. fact that I had quite a bit of theoretical knowledge, I think has helped me just because I already know the basics. Yeah you know at least to some extent so i'm a bit more familiar with what's going on i didn't feel quite as overwhelmed it's definitely been overwhelming because it's practice but i haven't been quite as overwhelmed with the sorts of things that come up so especially if you're studying a more niche thing um yeah. in your llm or if you're interested in a more niche area it i think it really helped me um to gain that sort of like basic knowledge and kind of know what the hot issues are absolutely yeah well, it's quite interesting that you, 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 well, you said Cornell was the spark that led you on to where, you know, your, your current stage. I have to ask, uh, why, why, why get into law at all? And what attracted you to such a career? Oh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be one of those boring people who say they've always wanted to be a lawyer. In my case, it really is true. I've always wanted to be a lawyer. Um, I yeah. started off as being really just interested in how we administer justice. And I think from a very young age, I was quite aware of where my strengths were. Um, so I, I remember being nine years old and thinking, okay, I really like to talk quite a lot. Um, yeah. and I really want to help people solve their issues. And I'm not, you know, particularly interested in uh, doing it in a lab not there's I mean I think it's fantastic I respect it so much it's more just a in terms of my yeah. own skills and interests it just felt like law was a really good fit um so it started off as that and then once I actually started studying law it was a lot of I really enjoyed the intellectual challenge of it I really like the fact that you have to work with people directly um yeah it, it feels sometimes it feels almost like a mind game but with real life implications which I think really helped ground me that, that's so interesting because, I mean, uh, you, you did say that, you know, um, you, you always sort of wanted to be a lawyer. And I was half expecting you to say, oh, well, you know, I watched Suits and I wanted to be the next Jessica Pearson. <laughs> I feel like that's almost the standard law student answer. But um, so you had also mentioned that um, you did a variety of different internships and work experiences. Um, so, so what really prompted you to choose uh, the solicitor route rather than the barrister route? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, I just want to say nothing wrong with wanting to be Jessica Pearson. As unrealistic <laughs> as it is, she is a great role model for female empowerment in the legal profession. I think that needs to be said. Um, I, I think I definitely considered the difference between being a solicitor and being a barrister. And I thought about you know, what I wanted to do, but ultimately it came down to a couple of things. One of them was I really liked the idea of working in a big firm, having the support that you know, not being self-employed comes with, like just being, it's not really about being an employee, but being part of a firm comes with so much support, so much training. Um, I thought it was a great place for me to grow, especially in the beginning of my career. Then there was the international element. I am really interested in international work. I have a really international background. So it felt like mm. a natural fit to be in a big international firm um, and to have access to work um, across the borders and to offices across the borders and working with people from you know, every like jurisdiction. 
Um, and the other thing was I really liked the idea of having a wide variety of work. So I liked the idea of being able to appear in court and focusing on disputes work. But I was also really interested in seeing more about the transactional side of things and just, you know, being able to um, form a relationship with a client and address all of their legal needs. So kind of get to know the client really well, because that's what interests me the most. So that was, yeah, that, that was mainly what I based my decision to become a solicitor on. And out of all the international firms that are out there, what really attracted you to Hogan Law? Oh, this is, so uh, this, in my opinion, is a, a, a decently good story. I um, was applying, you know, I think, let's be honest, when you're looking at firm websites, a lot of them after a while start to sound a little bit the same, right? Like the, the applications look quite similar, the values look quite similar. And I think it's a good thing because it means most firms have a really like good idea about what it is that they want to do. And it's usually good values. Um, so yeah. I think Hogan Lovell's first stood out to me because the application was really different. Um, it was the there were oh I don't remember if it was three or four questions, but they were the most yeah. interesting questions I had seen to date on the application. It actually they made me think. I you know wasn't tempted to give the same sort of run of the mill answers because the questions were so different that any answers I had written before just didn't fit. Um, so it, it really gave me an opportunity to kind of use my brain and be creative and take it as a challenge, and I really enjoyed that. Then I had a um, training contract assessment day. So I didn't do a vacation scheme. I applied straight for a training contract. And it's the first time mm -hmm. in my life when I came out of an interview thinking that was fun. Like that was a good conversation. <laughs> yeah, fun is a lot said. I was really stressed out because it is an interview, but it was just such a good conversation with the two partners who were interviewing me. We were having a really interesting um, discussion at one point. And we were talking about a case study um, that I had to read right before the interview and then discuss in the interview. And it had to do with construction. And then there was some element of like, I believe debt finance in it. And there were things that honestly, I knew nothing about. Well, not nothing, but very, very little. Um, and I still really enjoyed myself. And I still thought it was very thought provoking. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, touching upon that, eh, when you were deciding in terms of, uh, you know, you, you said all these firms have similar values and they all, on paper at least, you know, they're looking for the same yeah. kind of candidate, like high standard. Um, what type of approach would you, did you take? Like, did you take a shotgun approach? Did you take a, did you try and qualify yourself on the basis of, let me focus on a sector? You know, how did you justify your interests in the firm beyond sort of the culture and the environment? Yeah, I think that's a really good question for, especially for anyone who's considering applying um, to Hogan Levels yeah. or just, you know, to solicitor firms generally. Um, I think to start chronologically, I had three main things in mind while I was applying. The first one was when I did my research for the firms that I was going to apply to. I really tried to understand what the profile of the firm was, you know, beyond the little like motto that appears on the first page on the website. I wanted to understand yeah. the kind of departments that they offered, the structure of a training contract. I wanted to know about um, the firm's attitude to pro bono because that was really important to me. Um, and we can talk about that in a sec actually, because I'm having a really great time pro bono wise. 
Um, <laughs> and so I really wanted to understand what the firm was about. I tried, King's is a really great resource for this. I tried to reach out to alumni or people I knew from King's who were either going to be joining a city firm or who were already at a city firm. So I thought that was very useful. Um, and the thing that really stood out, you know, about Hogan Lovells was that everyone who's at Hogan Lovells was saying they were having a good time, um, which I thought was like, yeah, great. If you're enjoying your work environment, you'll be spending so much time in it that you might as well enjoy it. The other thing was um, while I was writing my application, I really wanted to be honest and as genuine as possible. Not just because, you know, I want the firm, I want a firm to pick me for me, but also because if I'm not a good fit personality wise, it's just not yeah. going to work out for me. I'm going to be having a bad time. And I think even though, you know, a lot of firm websites look the same, it's clear to me that firm culture is very real and firm culture is very different. Well, I think you bring up a very good point because uh, the main fundamental of any application and you know, presenting yourself in a manner whereby it's genuine, but at the same time, you know, it appeals to the firm's profile for looking for a candidate. And I feel like a lot of the mistakes that I've personally made in the past is, you know, we try and pitch ourselves in a manner that we think the firm wants to see us as, as opposed to, well, what are your actual interests? You know, how, and then tailoring that to the firm's values. Um, and speaking about the firm itself, I have to ask, uh, I mean, you mentioned a lot of these interesting things from uh, the culture to uh, the interesting interview questions and this to genuine happy environment uh, that's facilitated there. Uh, is anything special about Hogan Lovells that you think makes it stand out from the rest? And it could be, well, as you, if you'd like to expand upon the pro bono training opportunities, whether it's their affinity groups, is there anything that you want to talk about? Yeah, actually there are a couple of things. And the first one is very general, but um, every, you know, graduate recruitment event I've ever been to or anyone whom I've spoken to at the firm always says, and even yeah. in just very, very informal situations when they could honestly say whatever they wanted, everyone says the firm culture is what really distinguishes us. And it's a very you know broad thing to say, and it might sound a little abstract, yeah. but it's true. Everyone at the firm, everyone I've interacted with has been just a yeah. genuinely nice person. Um, people are very interested in making sure the trainees are having a good experience. I will frequently get emails or you know messages from people, even partners, um, but for just people around me and the team or people I've met in the firm saying, yeah. are you doing okay? How are you adapting? How's your yeah. experience? Are you having a good time? Um, which I thought yeah. was just really important. And it's also, I really enjoy working with the people I work with. It's, it, it yeah. makes, you know, perhaps if I'm having a long day, getting to work with someone I really like helps because it doesn't feel like a chore at all. It feels like something that I'm really interested in doing. So I don't mind putting in the time. The other thing about yeah. Hogan Lovells is really the focus on pro bono is incredible. The firm um, has pro bono target hours for everyone, including trainees. We have this program called yeah. HL Base, which starts off as a three-day sort of MBA style course with a focus on social enterprises. And on the last day, you get assigned to a group and you have to do this when um, you first join the firm as a trainee. You get assigned to a group yeah. with three other trainees and supervising associate and a supervising partner, and you get a social enterprise as a client, and they become your client for the next six months, and you have to help them out on a specific issue. So I'm doing that right now, and it's so interesting and so fulfilling, and it's very um, 
it's a very different experience from most of the things you would do as pro bono because it's a really prolonged relationship with a client. Yeah. Um, and just pro bono experiences generally, because in addition to that, there's a pro bono list that gets sent out every week. So I'm also working on um, a criminal injuries compensation application. We The firm does a lot of those um, for victims of terrorism or victims of sexual crimes or just victims of violent crimes. Um, so those things really stood out to me. And, you know, it's obviously some of the clients and the fact that the clients are really high profile, the fact that the work is really high profile, but I think you can find that in, in a variety of firms, but the culture and the pro bono um, really make Hogan Lovell stand out, at least to me. So um, just to sort of touch upon uh, a bit on the seats and the qualification process, um, would you mind just talking through for our listeners what the qualification process is, is and like the various seats available as well as how you're finding it in your in your international arbitration. Yeah, seat. certainly. So I might not be the best person to speak to this. So I can only speak to it at a high level since I'm quite early on. But you have to do four seats. Mm. They're each six months in duration. One seat has to be in something dispute. Another seat has to be in a commercial corporate type seat. Another seat has to be in a finance department. And then your last seat um, you can go on secondment uh, um, internationally or to a client or do another seat in London. Afterwards, while you're in your fourth seat, um, you start to apply for newly qualified jobs at the firm usually, or if you want to go somewhere else, you know, there's a lot of variety. Um, yeah. The firm has quite good interest in, you know, interest rates in staying at the firm. And a lot of the people in the firm including the partners trained at the firm and sort of just went along with it. So it, there's definitely a, a culture of, you know, wanting to train people and keep them as sort of a, a big family. Loyalty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's, yeah, that's the process. So I'm in my dispute seat right now, which is international arbitration. Um, and I'm really enjoying it. I think I, the fact that I had a bit of a background in arbitration, at least in terms of my education, because I really focused on it while I was at Cornell, it was one of the two things that I was focusing on, um, helped a lot, but I'm also just, it's nothing like what I expected it to be, but I'm really enjoying it. It's really fast paced at this point. We're quite, we're in a pretty busy period right now. So a lot of the times I'm just doing everything from, you know, admin tasks to, uh, helping out with taking a stab at, you know, case strategy uh, or taking a stab at trying to anticipate what the other side is going to say on a certain type of application, which is very daunting at times because, you know, sometimes I'll get a task mm -hmm. and I'll be like, oh, I'm definitely not qualified to do this. But then I start to do it and it's such a good exercise and you learn so much from doing it um, that I'm having a very mm -hmm. positive experience. I, I have to say, uh, regarding contentious work, because it's fundamentally what you're, you're, you're doing in your first seat, it, it seems to me, uh, as opposed to transaction, which is very much so, you know, or, you know there's a sort of a set process and a timeline. Uh, same for contentious, albeit. Uh, there's a lot of uh, strategy involved in terms of when you release emails, I guess, or when you, you know, you prepare statements or when you uh, let a client say what. And I mean, do you see yourself slowly shifting towards having you know, studied that in Cornell? So do you see yourself shifting towards the contentious area? Um, I or? think it's definitely what I started out thinking that I want to do. Um, I'm just yeah. weird. I'm weary to say yes, just because I haven't sat 
in uh, transactional seats yet. And I want to keep as open of a mind as possible, just because, you know, you never know what you end up liking. And I think it's good to admit where that you might be lacking knowledge about how a certain practice area really is until you experience it, which is why I think the training contract is a great idea as opposed to specializing straight away. Um, yeah. But I think just in terms of my background, I've definitely gravitated towards contentious work. Um, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. see. I think I'm, I'm trying my best to be <laughs> very open-minded at this point. So just based on, you know, what, what you've worked on so far, um, would, you, uh, would you be okay to share with us any sort of interesting cases or any interesting anecdotes um, just to illustrate, you know, what, what life uh, as a city lawyer is like? Um, so the matters that I'm working on are still ongoing. Um, so I'm not really at liberty to talk about very much about the specifics of what's going on, but yeah. I can definitely tell you about kind of the work that I've been doing. Um, and how things have been yeah, going. Absolutely. So it's been really interesting for me to see how um, these matters usually progress um, because it's, so on the one hand, you have a timetable that gets set in the beginning of an arbitration and you have an idea, you know, of kind of when you're going to be very busy, when you've got applications coming in, when you've got hearings coming. So in that sense, you'd expect it to be very predictable. It, Which yeah. it is to an extent in the sense that, you know, depending on the, the, the place in, in the timetable where you're at, you kind of know what you should be focusing on. So um, when I first started my seat, we were um, quite close to a cert, to having to file a certain type of application. So I was working primarily on those issues and I was you know trying to do some research for myself on understanding kind of the point where we're at. But it can be all sorts of unexpected things as well. Um, whether it is that, you know, there's a new client coming in, so you have to get up to speed very quickly, or you realize that actually maybe there's something else that we should be doing on the case or something else that could be helpful. So there have been a few instances when, for example, I've got an email thinking, okay, we have realized that we need to do this and we need to do it fairly quickly. And, you know, can you take a stab at it? Mm -hmm. So that's been um, very, you know, very fast paced at times. And um, yeah. sort of not unexpected as much as um, it, it just kind of in with like a short time frame of turnaround for some of the tasks, which has been really great because it, it, it's nice yeah. to get a mix of both, you know, knowing what I'm working on, but also I'm getting, you know, thrown these like random things that I didn't really expect. So I really have to be <laughs> on my toes all the time. Well, Going back to international arbitration, uh, I mean, without obviously giving any specifics about the clients or the, you know, the, the actual details of the work, uh, what uh, type of matters do you tend to take on? You know, are, are they related to uh, you know, a, a consortium of companies? Has it got to do with trading agencies? You know, what type of uh, clients do you take on? Oh my God. So I think the beauty of international arbitration is that it could be anything. Um, and yeah. it's certainly, you know, the matters that I've had a chance to work on, it's it's not repeat clients at all. Everyone's very different. Everyone comes mm. from a very different sector as well, which I think mm. is just, yeah. it's definitely true of contentious practice areas generally, but I think especially true, you know, if, arbitra if international arbitration because of the international element that the clients will be from yeah. 
pretty much anywhere around the world. It's generally clients who pick their seat or governing law to be English law or England. Um, and it's just, it literally could be anything. Um, I have not heard whether, you know, through my own practice or studying, it, it seems like every arbitration is just completely different. No, I, I completely understand that. Uh, speaking of uh, your, uh, you know, sort of new practices and things being different, uh, is there anything at Hogan Lowell's recently that has been developing internally that you're really excited about that you think, yeah, you know, if I, if I was an applicant or if I was someone interested in the firm, I should definitely be aware. Yeah, it's, it's been quite a lot, actually. I think the firm's been, from what I can tell, the firm's been very busy recently thinking about the things that they're doing. <laughs> um, so one yeah. of the things that is really important to me personally are um, the targets yeah. that have been introduced um, relating to the composition of the firm. So I know I'm being a little cheeky because this isn't exactly what you were asking, but I do think it's really, this yeah. was a very defining thing for me. I yeah. cannot imagine myself working in an environment that is not diverse, whether that is gender or race diversity, ethnic diversity, even just nationality in terms of, you know, I just, I grew up in such an international environment that I cannot fathom being in a, in a place that doesn't respect people's different backgrounds. So we've introduced some new targets. Yeah. Um, there's a target that by 2022, there will be 30% of women in partnership globally, which you know, sometimes you can wow. think it doesn't sound like enough. It, it should be, why is it a 50%? Why is it more? And I frequently think about these things. Yeah. But in terms of how law firms are faring, 30% is actually quite a lot. And to think that you're going to achieve that in two years is a really, really good step forward. And it's really paves the way for going beyond that because I think it should be 50%. I don't see a reason why it shouldn't be 50%. But, you know, there's a, it, it's a really good step forward. And we've also recently introduced two new targets, also in terms of partnership, um, to be achieved by 2025. And those are, yeah. I believe, 15% minority partners and 4% LGBT plus partners. Um, and again, that's something that is really telling about the firm culture and what the firm is doing. Um, so that has been fantastic. Um, another thing that the firm has been doing internally and like internal changes is adapting to COVID. I think it's a reality yeah, of, you know, yeah. the world that we're living in. So in contentious seats, for example, yeah. a lot of hearings have moved online. So the firm has been thinking about what technology to use. Um, and one of the cool things that I've been hearing about and that is being implemented, you know, when I have friends who have worked on virtual hearings with this is how best to get documents to witnesses and how to get witnesses or just key players into the hearing online and having yeah. access to things only when they're meant to. So they can't, you know, just go home and read through all the evidence in advance and then um, come back and sort of just recite from memory. So it's been uh, an interesting technological journey that from my understanding, the firm has been doing really well at because the virtual hearings have been very yeah. seamless, which is great to hear because I think everyone was worried that everything would just, you know, go up in smoke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's great to hear about you know, the various initiatives that the firm is taking in terms of diversity and breaking down that whole pale, stale male stereotype that is attached to law firms. 
Um, and, you know, it, it's interesting as well, all the technological developments that the firm is using to sort of adapt to the COVID scenario. Um, and just in terms of, um, you know, the, the trainees and the lawyers, um, especially starting off in this environment, uh, what do you wish you had known when he's, you know, starting off as a trainee, which you wish you'd known when you were making your application? Ooh, when I was making my applications, that's a very good question. Um, it, it's a very good question because I've thought about it several times. Um, yeah. So one <laughs> of the things which I think I did in my Hogan Levels application, um, so things definitely worked out in that way, but it's, you know, like I said, to be as honest as possible. Um because there's definitely, uh, Suhail, you were talking about this earlier about, you know, you kind of want, sometimes you feel like you have to present yourself in a certain way to law firms. Um, and maybe even to employers generally, you know, I, I think it's definitely a feature of applying for any kind of job. And I was definitely a victim of it several times in several applications. And, you know, sometimes it worked and sometimes it really didn't. And I think sometimes it was just so obvious that I was trying to be somebody who I was not or trying to say things that I wouldn't normally say. So I think being yeah. honest is useful for you um, because it means that you're not going to have to pretend to be anyone else. So if you're offered an interview or if you're offered, you know, a job, you can just be yourself and know that you gained a job based on who you are. Now, you know, it sounds a little idealistic and I think it definitely, there are certain things that everyone with a job like this does, you know, everyone has good academic credentials. Mm -hmm. Everyone has all sorts of extracurricular activities or um, just involvement in all sorts of societies, which is great. And it yeah. makes a lot of sense, but it also doesn't really, it doesn't make up for your personality. Like your personality, is what it is and i think it's important to be honest about that um to see if you fit yeah. into an environment so that's definitely one of the things the other thing is it this applies both to applications and to just starting work i think when you're in an when you're in academia it's very easy to fall yeah. into the idea that you know everyone in your class is going to be doing the same assignments they will be graded in the same things there's a certain relationship like hierarchy in terms of how you would address your professor, the kind of relationship that you would form, the kinds of things that you can ask. Whereas I find that with working, that's very different. First of all, because it isn't everyone doing the same assignments because this is, you know, these aren't assignments that have been set for you. This is just whatever the business needs are, you're there, you're working on them. Mm -hmm. um, so I think being proactive about it is something that I wish I would have known both when I was applying just to have a better, you know, understanding of what to expect from a job like this, but also just once I started working. Yeah. Um, and the other one yeah. is really not being afraid to ask questions because th this isn't really an exam. Everyone wants you to do well. It's, you know, everyone wants you to do well on your own merits for sure. But also people recognize yeah. that if you have a question, it's better to ask and then do the task well that to not ask, yeah. take a stab at it and end up having to really prolong the process of getting this, like helping out a client because you were too afraid to ask things that, you know, in school, for example, or in university might seem a bit embarrassing. Speaking of hierarchy, I, I, I did want to ask this about uh, Hogan Lobel's. Do you sense that relationship between you and the partners? Or is it very open in terms of, you know, are they approachable? Can you 
brings problems to them or is it very much like you know, there's very much a set so i can't speak for any other department than my own and the reason for it is just that i haven't you know experienced it um i think the partners are very busy understandably so so it's much harder to get you know a sight of them than it is of other people just because they're always running around doing something but at the same time mm. i've had really interesting conversations and just not even about the law just about life with partners it's been easier when i'm in the office because i um so we have we operate right now because of covid we're operating a business needs only going into the office um so i've been into the office a few times and obviously if you you know bump into someone on the hallway it's a bit easier to strike up a conversation um but generally i haven't really felt there's obviously a hierarchy in terms of just your ability yeah. you know like your legal um background and your abilities but i haven't felt like anyone including the partners was unapproachable and in fact i've had experiences with for example the partner who supervises our um ho base pro bono um a client yeah. you know he's not even in my department i don't work directly with him on a day-to-day -day basis outside of base and yet he's been so approachable and spent so much time with us and he always takes the time to ask you know the team how we're feeling how we're doing with the rest of our work whether it's yeah. manageable um he like goes above and beyond to give us advice and spend time with us so the partners are definitely willing and eager to be there for the trainees i think it's more a matter of you know they're very busy people it's it's unlikely that you'll be able to go to lunch with them every day just because they might not be having like you know yeah. the time for it themselves but i yeah i haven't felt mm. like i haven't felt like they are unapproachable and the times that i have approached partners it's been met with a really positive reaction yeah, it's just it's wonderful to know that you know even in law firms there is uh, now this 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 idea of an open door culture and not so much of a rigid hierarchy um, because um, it, I think there's this you know apart from the whole pale stale male stereotype it's also the stereotype of oh law firms are very traditionally hierarchical and just you know really moving away from that I think it's it, it's just it just really helps foster you know great working relationships um, and just just to you know wrap up because you know we, we understand that you have a busy day ahead um oh just to just to sort of wrap up as a, a final question what is one thing that you most enjoy about your job and one thing that you least enjoy about your job well it's gonna be hard to come up with something i don't enjoy so in terms of what i enjoy i know it's a, it, it sounds like i really need to say it sounds like oh i'm like you know promoting this job so much i think the truth is it i actually really enjoy it um yeah, I'm very passionate. passionate about it. And the more time passes, the more I think, yeah, I definitely made the right choice. Like, I, it was, it's good that I took a longer time, perhaps, than most people to decide that this is what I wanted to do, because it was definitely the right decision. Yeah. And this kind of goes back to what we were talking about doing an LLM or just a master's before. But in terms of what I yeah. enjoy the most, um, I think, in all honesty, the thing that I've been enjoying the most is working with very different people. Um, and the reason for it is that I constantly feel like I'm learning something because the people that I work with might have either very different styles for me, like in terms of work or just a very different thinking style. And I feel like at this point, especially because I'm right in the beginning, I'm a bit of a sponge and I keep just trying to get as much knowledge as I can and as much information and as much like experience as I can from the people around me. 
um, the thing that I least enjoyed, um, I think it was a bit difficult and I still struggle with it sometimes, but it's gotten better. Um, when I first started, I found it quite difficult to reach out to more senior people and just be like, you know, I need your help with something. Or can we have a chat about what you're doing? Because in my head, I kept thinking, one, maybe there's a hierarchy type of, you know, mentality that I had. And it's what you're saying. Law firms definitely have this reputation. And the other thing was just, oh, I know you're really busy. And I also really want you, I don't want you to think that I'm, you know, not prepared. Or I don't want you to think that I'm not good enough to be here. But if you're, you know, if you get this job, you deserve to be there. Like you worked really hard to be there. So I'm learning more and more that it is okay to ask questions. And as long as you've given it a try at like thinking through a question before you actually ask it, it, nobody will hold it against you. Well, you've definitely given our listeners a lot to think about today. And and definitely it's great to see a firm like Hogan Lovells trying to break the mold of, you know, the you know the everyday law firm especially in terms of their targets that they're setting in such a short mm-hmm. time period too uh, and uh, you know it's I, I i'm looking forward to seeing you know what more the firm goes on to do I, i'm looking forward to see what you go on to do and uh, you know we, we are very grateful for your time today thank you so much for coming on and uh, we hope our listeners found this insightful and uh, we hope to see you in future events uh, down the line at king's i'm sure you'll be uh, present throughout <laughs> as a regular uh, 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 you know, a perfect training. Oh, uh, but uh, uh, but until then, Diana, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we wish you the Thanks best of luck. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. We appreciate you tuning in. We have a fantastic list of speakers lined up in the coming months, all from a variety of different firms and a variety of different backgrounds. If you'd like to send us any suggestions or ask any questions, feel free to reach us through our Instagram at KCL. PGLS, or alternatively, our website, kclpgls.co.uk. It's been a pleasure, and until next time, have a good night.